Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. Your, your culture in college football is set in your weight room. Um, and that, when I talk about culture in terms of how guys work, you know, um, the way they, they, they attack everything, the way they come to the building. Um, and those things we feel like were put in place in the last 12 months. Now, not, that doesn't mean that everybody in the organization buys into that culture. And that, mean, that doesn't mean that everyone in your organization fits into your culture. And that's probably one of the great lessons that I've learned is that you want desperately for everyone to buy and you want desperately for everyone to, to believe in the culture and believe in what you're doing. Um, but the reality is it's not for everybody. Um, the great thing about this sport is you have the opportunity to recruit to your culture. Um, and so when the guys come on campus, they get hosted by our players who did an amazing job of, of hosting. Whether you're talking about the transfers, you're talking about the kids coming out of high school, um, they see what's going on here. They see what's real. Um, and they want to be a part of that. You know, people were drawn to, to the way our guys are. You know I mean? That, um, you, when you talk about the, the level of transfers, let's use those guys for an example. I mean, they, they could have gone about anywhere they wanted to go. Uh, and they had to know that the guys in our locker room were serious about winning, you know, and they were serious about getting this thing turned around. Um, so I, I don't think you can fake that. I, you know, a coach, we can sell that, but, but the players, there has to be something real there that other players will pick up on and they'll want to join. Well, we, we've talked about it a lot of times. I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy, analytics. Um, I mean, there, there were some things that, that were broken on our football team that were rather obvious, but... But you know, you, you play the season out and, and you look at where we have to improve our football team. Um, that's my job. My job is to, is to be able to identify, and the job of any leader in any organization is to be able to identify your issues, find the solutions, secure the solutions, and, 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 and follow through with that. So to me, it was about fixing our issues. Um, and we feel like we've addressed our issues. I'm not gonna stand here and, and say our issues are fixed. We have a lot of, right, right now, now the work begins. We've brought in the right people into our organization. I feel really good about the people we have here, but now we have to get to work. Um, but, uh, but I think that's where it comes from. I think you have to look at, you have to look at the data of, of what we've done, the data of what we did a year ago. We, I went back 10 years and look at the data of you know, what we've done, you know, offense, defense, special teams, recruiting rankings, you know, to try to get a, an idea of really where we stand and where we've come from in terms of where we're going. What, what you know, internally, what should be our expectation for performance um, and where were we falling short? So in all those ways, you have a chance to, now I'll say this, you can identify your issues. Um, the part of that, that, that I'm most happy about is we're able to solve them with the people that we solve them with, right? Uh, the, the, the quality of the people that we've brought in, whether you're talking about the staff or whether you're talking about these, these six young men that we're talking about here today, um, is what has me the most excited. We, our structure in terms of how our rules are laid out, um, have been in place, will be in place. They've been the same. Our rules that have been broken have been, the discipline has been there. They've been disciplined for those types of things. Um, but what you're doing is you're finding sometimes you've got the repeat offenders who just, this isn't the place for them. You know, and they, and they got to find another place to go. And, and that's all part of it, you know. Look, it's, it's easy when a young man makes a mistake to, to try to just say, okay, hey, you know, you're out of here. That You, you want to help them because they are young. They have a chance to, to learn. And, and you have to ask yourself at all times, are their mistakes coming from immaturity? Um, or do they really struggle understanding right from wrong? And ultimately it comes down to two choices. Every decision I make is a selfish choice for me or it's a choice for the team. 
And if I continue to put myself in front of the team, then ultimately those are guys that, that will get you beat. It's, 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 that, it's that simple. And so what we're trying to do is, is find more guys that, that make less selfish decisions um, and, and think about team, whether they're in this building, whether in Hard Rock Stadium, or, or they're away from us, you know, the time that we don't have them. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, your host and beat writer, joined today by my producer, Mike Zimmerman, to talk a little bit about uh, what you just heard. Uh, that was Manny Diaz talking on National Signing Day. And, Mike, it was a different kind of National Signing Day than it was a year ago. I don't, I don't know if you got that impression. I know you were watching uh, the videos online as it was streaming. But uh, to me, uh, the biggest takeaway for me was this is a different Manny Diaz. And I think that's really important when you talk about uh, the success of this program going forward. Um, you know, this this football program went through a very humbling experience last year. They came out with the new Miami, and then they went out and lost to FIU, lost to Duke, lost to Georgia Tech, lost to Louisiana Tech in the bowl game and finished 6-7 and seven and just completely imploded. And the Manny Diaz that I remember from last season on National Signing Day uh, didn't sound like the guy I heard uh, yesterday. The Manny Diaz from last year was sort of, hey, you know, we can fix this thing pretty quickly. Uh, the number one recruit is Dan Enos. Uh, Dan's the biggest signee we had. Um, you know, I'm going to read you the quote. In fact, uh, you have to be able to bring in some talent, no doubt. And you also have to factor in Jeff Thomas returning to our team. I think there's offensive skill that's coming in that can really benefit. I think there's offensive skill in our campus. There's a lot more meat on the bone than it looks. That was part of Manny Diaz's quote last year on national signing day about Dan Enos and the offense. And so, um, obviously that wasn't the case. We learned last season that there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone when it came to this offense. And and the Manny Diaz we heard yesterday was a guy who basically said, hey, you know what? Uh, it was a really strong finish to National Signing Day. We're happy we got Avante Williams. We're happy uh, that, you know, uh, we've got this new staff in place, but we've got to kind of go out there and prove it. And, and now is when the work really begins. And so, my question to you, Mike Zimmerman, as you joined the conversation here, and I went on and on there in the beginning, um, what was your reaction to hearing Manny Diaz? Did anything strike you about yesterday that, that you want to talk about? I mean, it, it was sort of like a an attitude change, I guess, uh, from last season. Uh, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, last year, very positive, very, you know, saying things can be fixed easily. And then you get one season in, and it's kind of like a, a 180 here. It's almost like... He knows how how difficult this this rebuild is going to be, and he's got to be patient. And it, it's almost you know we, we were talking before before the show, and it, it's almost business like now where it's okay. We know what we need to do. We know we need to fix things. Let's stop you know pounding our chest and talking the talk when we haven't even walked the walk yet. And I, I think that's one of the big things Manny Diaz has learned that it's. You know, you can't just be on Twitter, you know, posting gifts and, and, you know, hashtag the new Miami when you go out and lose to FIU and you lose to Duke and you lose to Louisiana Tech. You get shut out by Louisiana Tech um, in a bowl game. So I think that it's almost, it was kind of a wake-up call and a reality check for Manny Diaz and this program where it's, okay, we're not nearly as close as we thought we were. We need to do some serious work and, you know, let's be quiet about this and let's not, you know, act like we're better than we actually are. Right. 
and and I think you know, look, obviously he made some big splashy hires going to the spread offense, the up tempo style with Rhett Lashley. That definitely made fans happy. Uh, then you go out and you get Ed Reed to be your chief of staff. Uh, you get a new offensive line coach and Garen Justice, who comes with a really good reputation. Uh, you know, you're you're in the process of, of of hiring a wide receivers coach, a guy who was an offensive coordinator at Arizona State, in Rob Likens. And so you go out and you make all these personnel moves. You get the quarterback, you get the kicker, you get a defensive end. You make all these positive moves. But as good as it felt, basically Manny Diaz said, I'm not going to stand here and, and say our issues are fixed. And I think that's really important, uh, you know, from a from a player perspective, that your coach is not sort of pounding a drum and sort of saying, hey, we're going to get back to being 10-0 and 0 and number two in the country right away because we've got, you know, this guy as our coordinator and this guy as our quarterback. I think this approach is important because kids really echo whatever their coaches say and they really start to believe it. And I think part of what doomed Miami last season was overconfidence. There were a lot of games where they walked in there and Manny Diaz and those guys said, well, all we got to do is show up and play our game and, and we're going to win. And the reality is there were some talent deficiencies. Number one on the offensive line. Like that was the overwhelming area where Miami didn't have enough talent, didn't have good enough players to kind of run the system that Danny Enos was running. And so that kind of destroyed everything right from the start. And then you have a quarterback in Jaron Williams who just doesn't take it serious enough. And so, and then I think, you know, Manny Diaz also keeping Jaron Williams in there after he broke curfew against FIU um, also sent the wrong message, right? I think there were a lot of fans who were upset about that. You were upset about that, weren't you? Weren't you kind of puzzled when that, that whole thing came out of, well, why isn't Manny doing more to discipline these guys? Well, it, it it's sort of like when you have your your starting quarterback, you know, missing curfew, and then the rest of the team sees, okay, he's not punished. That's almost a free for all for the rest of the team, saying, okay, if he's you know, if he's going out breaking curfew, breaking the rules, and he's not getting punished, well, you know, I'm going to go out and do the same thing because if he's not you know getting getting disciplined then I don't think anybody else is going to be. You know, if you're Manny Diaz, I feel like that's the perfect example, you know, to set a precedent for this team. Like, hey, even our starting quarterback is not above, you know, the rules. And it didn't happen. So I I think it's almost like the rest of the team saw that and figured, hey, you know what? If Manny's not going to do anything, then then let's just do what we want and then maybe show up on on game day. And uh, if we win, that's great. If not, you know, we're going out tonight, you know, having a good time. And, and that's what happened those last three games was basically uh, the natives were, were just doing whatever they wanted, right? They were just, I mean, it was like a wild uh, free-for-all, you know? And, and I think what happened in the end was Manny Diaz lost his football team and he lost the season. And, and so, look, I think running off some of these players, getting rid of Jaron Williams, getting rid of some other guys saying, hey, you know what, you want to go to the NFL, go ahead. Um it's important, and, and that was part of Ed Reed's message, by the way, yesterday. He talked about that uh, when he when he got in front of the microphone about how his first season at Miami in 97 when they went 5-6, and six, there were some bad apples that they had to get rid of too. And so I think Miami fans, you know, if, if you're going to take a positive away from yesterday, aside from the fact that, you know, they, they got Avante Williams, they finished with the number 13 recruiting class in the country, and they, and they did, you know, hire all these new coaches and bring in Ed Reed – Aside from all that, it feels like Manny Diaz has turned a page in the sense of we're not going to be that team anymore who takes these things for granted and think that, you know, like I said, we can just show up on game day and win. 
we are going to try to hold these guys a little bit more accountable. We're going to try to recruit guys who really buy into the culture and the guys that don't can get out of here. And and that's well, important. That's important for your head coach to sort of deliver that message. And I think a year ago at this time, Manny Diaz and Blake James fully believed that, hey, all they got to do is get the right quarterback and the right offensive coordinator and throw some new plays out there and suddenly voila. You're going to go out there and get right back in the ACC title game. And there was a level of arrogance. There was. There was a belief amongst those guys that this was going to be an easy fix. And Manny Diaz was a humbled coach who learned a lesson. And he talked about it. He, le- he talked about learning a lesson last season uh, regarding culture and trying to establish it and, and just, you know, having to realize that, hey, not everybody's going to jump on board just because you're the head coach and because you had success as defensive coordinator. And it's good to hear – a head coach who's 45 years old. This is his first head coaching job. Well, technically a second because he was there at Temple for, what, 17 days? Um, yeah, about two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but realistically, I mean, it, it, to me, everything Manny Diaz has done reacting to the season, you have to applaud him because he's making changes. You know, Al Golden was here five years ago, and for four years he ran the same 3-4 scheme and tried to get Anthony Ciccolo to put on 50 pounds to play a position that he shouldn't be playing. And Manny Diaz basically realized after one year, after one gigantic screw-up, that, hey, we got to go to the spread. This is the best thing for offensive linemen and our receivers. We got to build an easier system for our players. And then we got to change the culture, and then we got to run off the guys who aren't into the culture. We've, we've really got to just make adjustments in every way, shape, or form. And so he's done all that. He's addressed it. Now, is he going to win in August, September, October, November? I don't know. Um, there's no guarantee of any of that. I, I think, you know, you, you feel good about Derek King. You feel good about this recruiting class and some of the guys they brought in. But as we learned yesterday, I mean, there's, there's guys dealing with injuries. And I know we had Kelvin Harris on the show uh, last week, and he's like, well, they can go 12-0, and 0, right? Isn't, I mean, that's kind of Kelvin's thing. He's always looking at the schedule and just marking down Ws for everything. But um, I kind of wanted to shift the focus a little bit to, you know, what Miami actually accomplished on signing day in terms of who they signed, and then also the roster heading into the spring and some of the injuries that we have and how that's going to affect um, the team. Um, number one, um, uh, let's go over the injuries real quick. There's four linebackers who aren't going to play this spring. And, and obviously that's an important position considering uh, you're losing Michael Pinckney and Shaq Quarterman, your two starters, and Zach McLeod's going to be there, but you're losing four guys who were going to compete to be basically his sidekick at linebacker. Sam Brooks Jr.'s uh, coming off a shoulder injury. Uh, Bradley Jennings missed all of last year. He's still not healthy with that hip injury. And then you got both of the freshmen who got in on campus early, they're not going to be around this spring. Tyreek Austin Cave and Corey Flagg, they're going to sit out all of spring. My question to you, uh, Mr. Hurricanes fan and expert, how concerned are you about some of the injury news that you heard yesterday, particularly at linebacker? Uh, I mean, I'll say this. If there was any position that Miami desperately needed depth at, it was linebacker with Quarterman and Pinkney pretty, you know, playing all four years. And now they're gone. So you you need as much depth as possible because there's not many experienced guys at that position. And I, I think from what we saw from Sam Brooks Jr. last year, I think everybody was excited to see him maybe finally take over that linebacker position with those holes. We're not going to be able to see him till fall camp. I, I think Jennings was has a lot of upside. We were excited to see him. Not going to see him. 
the two freshmen, not going to see. So I think, what is it, Patrick Joyner going to be really, I, I think this is his time, I guess, to, to show what he can do. This is his opportunity. He doesn't have any excuse to say, hey, I'm not getting reps. I'm not getting the attention. This is really going to be all on him to see if he can really take take hold of one of those linebacker positions. Yeah, and and you look at you know who will be available at that at that position. I guess Wayne Minsteed, who missed all of last year with that knee injury, he'll be one of the guys back. Uh, Avery Huff, uh, who was redshirted, he'll be one of the guys there. But basically, it's McLeod, Steed, um, Joiner, and Huff. You're gonna have four healthy linebackers for spring football for the spring game. And yeah, you got other guys who are gonna be playing striker and whatnot. But it, it was definitely a good opportunity for a Sam Brooks to really learn the playbook, be out there regularly, uh, kind of build some chemistry with Zach McLeod because he didn't play next to Zach McLeod. McLeod was obviously redshirted. He wasn't. They weren't on the field together. And I think there there is something to that chemistry that you that you're hoping for, um, you know. And then Huff is a guy. The, the one benefit here, I think, is that Avery Huff is a guy. The coaching staff I know is really excited about. I know other guys on the team have told me he's. They think he's going to be a stud. Uh, in fact, I talked to Shaq Quarterman last week, and, and he brought it Avery Huff and how talented he is and how he thinks that he's going to be a really good player at Miami. So, But, again, four healthy linebackers for the spring, it, it's it's not an ideal situation. As far as the other injuries, uh, some good news in terms of safety. Um, you're going to have Bubba Bolden back at some point this spring. He's coming back from that ankle injury. He'll not be ready to begin spring practice, uh, but will – you know, just, just just no celebrations. No more celebrations, from him. exactly. Um, but I will say, I mean, this does slow things down as far as him competing because Amari Carter is going to be. Look, he's a senior. You know, he wants that job. So this is an opportunity for Amari Carter to try and impress the coaches and say, "Hey, I, I, you should play me and not Bubba." Um, and so again, this uh, this sort of changes the position battles a little bit. Everybody expects Gervin Hall to be a starter. Um, but Bubba Bolden, you know, whenever he comes back, he's got to really prove to the coaches that he's that guy that we saw against Florida State because it took him about four games to really get going. He has the interception against Florida State and, of course, gets hurt. So there's that. And then on offense, you got four four more guys who are going to be missing the spring. Navon Donaldson, who we knew about because he got injured against Duke and had the knee surgery. Um, that's going to open uh, the door on the offensive line for Jalen Rivers and John Campbell. Jalen Rivers, of course, the big-time freshman that Miami signed yesterday. And then Campbell, who was basically backing up Donaldson at the end of the year and got his snaps once he got hurt. Um, those guys will get more snaps this spring. But not having Donaldson around, you know, he's a guy who's who's been heavy, needs to lose weight. How's that going to affect him in terms of being ready for the season? You know, when he, when he finally comes back, is he going to be able to shed that weight quickly? Um, that's a storyline. And then, um, you know, running back, of course, Don Chaney Jr., he's going to be out with a shoulder injury. That's kind of significant you you were hoping that uh you know you could get those two freshmen a bunch of snaps now he won't be the guy he'll, he won't be in there until the summer and the fall and then uh brevin jordan still dealing with that foot i think it's smart to keep him out and then of course at receiver michael redding the freshman he's the highest rated among the four freshman receivers he will be out with a wrist injury thoughts on those guys i i think the attention for me turns to receiver especially because last season Jeff Thomas didn't really live up to his expectations when you know with him coming back we thought okay we're adding another electric receiver back uh he should get back to his freshman form he didn't that has that could do with the offensive coordinator and the play calling and offensive line a lot of other factors but he didn't live up to our expectations I think that and with Brian Hightower also transferring 
D. Wiggins, up and down. Mark Pope, not really seeing much from him. It's almost like we want Jeremiah Payton to step up and be that number one receiver. We've heard during practice, you know, how great this player is going to be. You know, th- this kid's really got it. Now, I think we're going to see whether or not all that's true. And I, I think now with De'Ara King coming in, an experienced quarterback, um, I-, I think you've got a quarterback who will be able to get him the ball. And I'm actually excited. Um, I, I want to see whether or not this hype is true. Uh, I-, I think that receivers clearly in need. I think, you know, with KJ Osborne gone, Jeff Thomas gone, Brian Hightower gone. It's almost like they need somebody to step up and kind of be that number one receiver. And, you know, from everything we've heard from reports and practice, I think you can touch on this more with being around the program every day. There's a lot of high praise surrounding Jeremiah Payton. And I guess I'm just excited to see whether or not he can kind of take over and be that number one receiver. Because we've been we've been waiting for a, a, a number one target for a long time. Yeah, I think that's really the number one storyline. I mean, obviously everybody's going to pay attention to De'Aaron King and how good he looks early on. Everybody's going to want to make sure that your quarterback uh, is aces like everybody thinks he's going to be. But I think no doubt. I mean, the, the receiver position uh, is one at the University of Miami that, that has been um, a, a place that you've been, you've recruited well, right? You've gotten all these four- and five-star guys over the years. Uh, at that position, but it just hasn't been the same. In fact, I'm going to be writing a story on this at some point, but I'll, I'll throw this stat out there, um, you know, just to show people how far the receiver position has fallen off at Miami. In an 18-year span from 85 to 2003, no school in college football produced more first-round picks at receiver than Miami. Churned out seven among the 65 players who were drafted in the first round. Tennessee was next on the list with five. Of the 21 receivers Miami sent to the NFL over that 18-year span, six went on to become pro bowlers, including Hall of Famer Michael Irvin, and then, of course, Reggie Wayne and Andre Johnson, who are likely to follow Irvin into Canton. So you basically had three Hall of Famers play at Miami from 85 to 2003. Now, if you go and you look at what's come out of the University of Miami since 2003, you've basically had eight receivers drafted, okay? Braxton Berrio, Stacey Coley, Philip Dorsett, Travis Benjamin, Tommy Streeter, Leonard Hankerson, Sonoris Moss, and Roscoe Parrish. None of those guys have made a Pro Bowl, and only Travis Benjamin has been a starter for two full seasons. He's the only guy who's been a starter for uh, for his team uh, for, for for a season. Um, so, I mean, it's just it's been a drastic drop off. I know Alan Hearns is another guy who came out uh, undrafted, and he's obviously still in the league. But again, you're talking about nine professional NFL receivers since 2004 and so there's a lot of um need you know there's a big need for Miami to kind of get back to producing guys because you think about some of the guys that have you know come out of the South Florida area and gone on to be big time receivers in the NFL Amari Cooper you know Jerry Judy's another guy um recently Calvin uh Calvin Ridley um you know these are all guys from the Dade Broward area who have come out and uh been NFL stars and you know they haven't been going to Miami so to me you know, it's important for a guy like Jeremiah Payton to sort of have a great career at Miami and get back, you know, kind of get the program back to producing these playmakers because it's not just quarterback that Miami's been lacking. It's really been receiver. And I know they've they've produced tremendous tight ends all, all over the span, but uh, it's really, I mean, it's jarring to me. I mean, what do you think of those stats that I just threw at you, dude, that, that, that the receiver position has slipped off that much? Did you realize that it was that bad? 
I I kind of did because you know you, you look back you try try and think back to previous seasons. You know when has Miami actually had a good passing attack? Right. It, it, it's just been Brad so Kai and Juan Richards probably. I, but even that, it's just it's it's that that's just a quarterback receiver duo. It, it's not like you know he's got an arsenal of weapons to work with. You know. I kind of think it it stems back all the way back to Ryan Moore, you know, five star receiver coming into Miami, high expectations, didn't live up to it, and then it was just an avalanche from there. You bring in Lance Leggett, another five star receiver, doesn't live up to it. Darnell Jenkins, four star receiver, doesn't live up to it. It's almost like it started back in '03, you know, pretty much when the the Miami decline started, and hasn't been anywhere near what we expected with all this South Florida talent. Now, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with recruiting. Sure, you have to keep a lot of the talent home. But you should be able to bring in, you know, a couple four-star receivers that actually live up to it. Now, whether or not they're getting the right ones or not, I think that's up for a different debate. But the ones they're bringing in clearly aren't working out. Yeah. Well, Manny Diaz said yesterday uh, they've got – I mean, obviously, they use 24 scholarships, so they've got one left. It doesn't look like Willie Moyes is going to be a part of this class, uh, the Shamanan Madonna defensive tackle. If he is, he probably is going to end up being converted to an offensive lineman because that's really the position of need that Manny Diaz said yesterday they still have. They only signed two offensive linemen in this class. My guess is you, you look at the offensive line situation, um, there's probably going to be a, a couple guys who, if they're not, in the two deep or they're not really participating that they're going to want out. I mean, you look at a guy like Kylie on Herbert, you know, this is going to be his fourth year at Miami. His first two years, he was hurt last year. He hardly played Zach Dykstra. Same thing. He's a guy who just hasn't played at all. Zelante Hillary. He's another redshirt junior. So you've got all these guys sort of just not seeing the field. And so what could happen is, yeah, they stick around for the spring, but maybe um, they're looking to the portal to get out. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens um, at, at that position in particular. But Manny basically said yesterday he's going to keep an eye open uh, to see kind of what comes along on the uh, on the waiver wire is what I'm calling it now, the transfer portal, because that's essentially what it is. Um, let me ask you, what, obviously this recruiting class was finished um, back in December. So yesterday wasn't a very busy day. I mean, you look at the guys who who signed. Obviously, Avante Williams, Isaiah Dunson, the cornerback out of Georgia, the four-star kid. Um, those were the two guys who basically signed. You had um, the receiver Keyshawn Smith, who who was able to enroll in January. He's a guy the coaching staff's excited about at receiver. But when you look at this class as a whole, and you say, okay, where's the next Greg Rousseau? Where's the next Brevin Jordan? Who excites you the most? Um, as far as, you know, potential of being maybe a star at Miami? Ooh, that's tough. Because when you mentioned who's going to be the next, you know, Greg Rousseau, Rousseau wasn't a high-talent, you know, highly-touted kid. Mm -hmm. It's almost like who's going to be the diamond in the rough, right? Right. And, you know, who are we not expecting? And at this point, I don't even know. Maybe that's part of I don't really care. I just (laughs) want talent on this team. You know, at this point, it's not like we have such a – a deep team and a talented team where it's like, Hey, you know what? If one of these guys becomes, you know, a star, that's great. But if not still, okay. It's almost like you need all these guys to, to blossom. And I don't care who it is. I just, you know, just get talent on this team. Just develop these players. I, I, I don't have a specific person. You know, I I think everybody would love it 
to be Van Dyke, but he's not necessarily a a you know a, a below the radar guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because he plays such the such an important position, I think everybody just wa- just wants him to be the guy to sort of step up. But I I to be honest, I don't care. I I just want I just want multiple guys to develop. You need talent on this team. You need depth, and I think that's that's where it needs to start in development. You know, so don't worry about one guy. Develop all of them. Yeah. You know, and and it's interesting you bring that up, man, because I just had an article. Uh, you know, we did uh, at the athletic the college football uh, recruiting revisited package. Uh, Max Olson did a great job with that. I heard Dabo Sweeney uh, is a big fan of his article, but hmm. essentially just going back and sort of reviewing the signing classes of, of years past. And so Max does it every four years. We go. We went back to 2016, and basically he did anyway, and, and and broke down you know all the Power Five schools and some of the other uh, group of five schools and their recruiting classes. Sort of awarded a point system for uh, those classes, and when he re ranked them all, you know the, the system. I like the system by the way because it's exactly like the, the the recruiting system. You know the five, four star, three star, two star system. Well. He went. He goes back, and his whole thing is okay. You know how many of these guys are busts, etc. Well, Clemson, of course, had the number one class in 2016 uh, because they got 96% of their guys who were either starters or backups. They only lost four uh, percent of, of of their signing class to transfers or ineligibility before they left. Miami's class was 59%. And if you go back and you look at the previous four classes from 15, 14, 13, and 12. I mean, it's very similar, 60% or less in terms, of, in terms of player retention. So your point of, hey, I don't care who breaks out as stars, I want all of them to be good, that really matters. Because w- when you look at Clemson's and you look at the LSU's and the Ohio State's and the Alabama's, they might have one season where, hey, they got a few kids that, that transfer out that don't want to be there. But for the most part, they're in the 70, 75, 80% range in terms of being able to retain their kids and to get something productive out of them. And when you're in the 60s, like Miami has basically been now for a while, and maybe even worse than 60%, uh, you know, in the 50s and 40s, I mean, it's, it's just really hard to have success. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'd recommend you to read that story by Max Olson. I did uh, my own version of the Hurricanes breaking down the 2016 and the 2017 class. And it's really... It's it's really, you know, to me, you talk about Manny Diaz and does he make excuses and, you know, the coaching staff, should they be winning more? When you go back and you review, you know, that 2016 class and you start saying to yourself, all right, this guy was a four-star and this guy was a three-star and this guy was this and this guy was supposed to be that. And then you see just how much they underperformed or, or what, you know, some of the disasters were because guys left. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable to me um, and, and eye opening. Like, how is a coach supposed to have success when when these many guys are sort of failing and, and not helping the program? I mean, the number one recruit in 2016 was Sam Bruce. He was dismissed from the team in October 2016. Didn't get anything out of that guy. You had Shaq Quarterman, who, who lived up to his four star ranking uh, as a four year starter. But he was the only guy in the entire signing class um, of 22 players. That, that made an all-ACC first team, okay? This was, and, and mind you, 247 Sports ranks all these classes, right? I mean, this was a top 20 recruiting class in 2016. I mean, it was, actually, it was 22nd, but still, it was top 25. And so, you know, Amon Richards, yes, he was freshman All-American. Then, you know, he has the career-ending neck injury. 
Jack Allison was supposed to be your star quarterback. He transferred to West Virginia in April 2017. You get something out of Joe Jackson and Travis Homer, but then Deontay Mullins, another receiver. You talk about the receiver position and why it's sucked for so long. You got nothing out of Deontay Mullins. Um, so, you know, you, you go up and down the list of that class, and it's just like miss, 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 transfer, miss. And it's just, it, it's, it's, to me, it sort of puts everything in perspective, and it goes back to your point of, hey, just hit on a high percentage of these guys, and that's probably how you start to turn this thing around. Yeah, and it's not only do you have a difficult time succeeding when you miss on so many of these recruiting classes, it sets you back. Like, you're not even just staying at mediocre. You're going backwards because you need to now recruit guys to sort of replace these busts plus replace the guys who have actually been performing well. So there aren't any uh, positions where you say, okay, we don't necessarily have to address them this offseason because we're, you know, these guys have been, have come in and they've, they've performed and they've exceeded our expectations. You've got holes everywhere now because you've missed on so many of these guys. So not only are you just stagnant, you're setting yourself back for years to come. And I think until, you know, whether it's Manny Diaz or a future coach, until you can bring in recruiting class after recruiting class and hit on, like you said, 70 to 75% of these classes, you're not going to have success. And I think we've touched on this all season long. It comes down to talent. And until Miami can start bringing in these top five, top 10 recruiting classes year in and year out, you know, success isn't going to happen. All right, Mike, do we have any questions? I know we, we, we put it out there on the request line on, on Twitter uh, to see if we had any questions from readers. Any other any other thoughts on your mind before we wrap this up? So we just to wrap up, uh, we kind of touched on the transfer portal, but we have two um Two questions that are, are fairly similar. One from Hurricanes Marsh and one from Randall Carlson. Uh, are you know are any transfer transfer portal guys, um, you know, being looked at, especially at the offensive line? And um, you know, is Tariq Black, the former uh, Michigan receiver, being looked at? Uh, also, are any other guys besides Black being looked at? So basically, transfer portal as a whole. Is Miami looking at anybody and anybody coming to visit anybody that Miami has a chance with? It, it doesn't sound like it, other than Tariq Black, um, and and I don't think they're, they're necessarily in need of the receiver position unless there's another injury. I think the way Manny Diaz uh, kind of explained it yesterday, you know, that one scholarship that they've got left is pretty valuable to them in terms of you know counting towards a twenty-five, and so they're going to only use it unless they absolutely have to. And let's not forget, you know, spring football, at the at the end of spring football last year, you had a lot of guys sort of saying, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna transfer now. I'm going to look for another school because the writing's on the wall. I'm not going to play here. So I think it's it, after spring football, it's going to heat up again. Guys are going to be on the move. Guys will be available in the transfer portal. And you start, you're going to start to see some movement again. But I think right now, you know, if they had more scholarships, maybe they, they use it. But I think the fact that they've only got one um, – it, it's kind of like you, you have to really save it for when you need it. And and I think Manny's going to be as careful as possible. So I don't necessarily think Tariq Black will, will end up here just because for that reason. I think, again, for all the reasons I said earlier in regards to the offensive line, the fact that you got all these redshirt juniors who aren't going to play and probably won't play, um, you know, they could be looking to go to another school. I think I think that kind of leaves Miami in a precarious position where they're probably going to need to spend it on an offensive lineman. 
Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, that, you know, if you are going to use that last scholarship on someone, it's got to be offensive line. That's clearly the big need. We've kind of talked about that since the since the Florida game uh, when it didn't matter who was under center, they were running for their lives. Um, so, yeah, I, I would have to agree that if you are going to use that that one, it's got to be an offensive line help. Yep, no question. All right, man. Well, listen, I, I, Mike, I appreciate you coming on to chat about National Signing Day, and it was a fun show as usual. Anytime you and I start talking Canes, it's – it's a good thing, and uh, I hope to get Kelvin on again soon um, to kind of get his thoughts on signing day and some of these other storylines that, that have sort of been out there, some interesting stories. Um, you know, I, By the way, I would tell readers, by the way, to check out a story by our, our Florida Gators beat writer, Will Salmon, who spent the day behind the scenes with Dan Mullen and the Florida coaching staff and was actually there sitting by the coaches uh, when they lost Avante Williams to Miami, and it was kind of funny. Uh, just, just, you know, co- I guess the position coach who had recruited Avante Williams walked out, was like stunned by the news that Avante Williams picked Miami. So just an interesting read, a lot of interesting stuff at theathletic.com and, uh, obviously, uh, another good podcast, uh, that was done earlier this week. You guys posted it from Prim Seripapad. It was an interview with Jonathan Vilma, uh, from earlier this year. I thought that was a good interview as well. So a lot of content on theathletic.com. Encourage you to check it out. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Uh, for Mike Zimmerman, I'm Manny Navarro. We'll talk to you soon. Come to the hard rock, ain't no discussion. Just deal with the repercussions.